Welcome. Thanks for listening to 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to rate it and comment about it on the podcast platform on which you listen. That boosts the algorithm so that more people who are not familiar with the podcast can find it and we can broaden our family. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of Being a Bad Martha. Today, we are going to talk about sex and pleasure. Ooh. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot lately about how women's pleasure has been suppressed and stigmatized throughout history. And I think it's time to open a conversation about our mental, physical, and emotional health as women, and how we can bring more pleasure into our lives. So I have two wonderful guests with me today, Beth and Annalicia. Say hello. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. And, um, and we're just going to chat about sex and pleasure. And uh, and see what comes out of the conversation. Um, I'm going to start the conversation off by referencing an article uh, that I that you know made the rounds on Facebook. I think it was oh goodness, it was in the before times. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it could have been 2018 oh, or wow. 2019, but um, but there was an article that went around that talked about. Um, how uh, men and women define bad sex. Oh. And, you know, they asked, yeah, they asked a bunch of men, like, how do you define bad sex? And they said things like, you know, when, like, I didn't orgasm as strongly as I thought I was going to, or I came too early, or, you know, I, I, we didn't orgasm together, you know, it was about the quality of their mm-hmm. experience, hmm. and um, women pretty much across the board defined, de- uh, excuse me, defined bad sex as when it hurt, yeah. when it was painful. Um, so the article went into a lot of discussions about how um, women will often endure painful sex if it means pleasure for their partner. Mm. And that just made my heart hurt so much because, you know, sex is supposed to be wonderful and pleasurable. And, and, you know, if you're trying to make a baby, it's, you know, the miracle of creating new life. It's, it's not supposed to hurt. No, no. Yeah. That reminds Um, me of falling on the sword for somebody. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. metaphorical kind of, kind of yeah. metaphorically and literally. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely relate to this a lot with my OBGYN health issues. So that that is very unfortunate. That and I do know that you know, so many so many women endure pain because they think that it's normal or that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, you know, I'm postmenopausal now and. I have developed a painful spot on my cervix mm-hmm. and uh, I've been to the, I've been to Planned Parenthood. They were not able to identify what it is. And then, you know, COVID happened. And so I haven't been to the doctor since the shutdown um, for something, you know, so frivolous and, and non-important as painful. Oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, ca- I cannot engage in coitus right now mm-hmm. without it being painful. So, you know, so I'm not doing it because it's yeah. painful. 
people, you know? There's well, yeah, who would sex. yeah, there's masturbation. There's all sorts of other things that can be done, you know, um, mm-hmm. that uh, still provide pleasure. Um, but until I get that situation straightened out, I have to abstain from coitus because um, it's so painful. Mm. And uh, I just am not willing to put myself through that, um, you know, just for the sake of saying that we had sex, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Annalisa, you mentioned health issues, and I am really curious um, to have you uh, really expand upon that for us because uh, it's not uncommon, and um, and yet I think it's really not talked about. This is true. Um, it's very taboo, especially depending on what culture you're from or your background. Um, and a lot of times, you know, OBGYNs are still learning about women's bodies and how we function and how different, um, how different, um, not necessarily diseases, but how different conditions affect the body. And, um, a lot of them, unfortunately, have pain involved. And there's this mindset that, like, oh, we, we don't need to go to the OBGYN if, uh, you know, unless you're unless I'm pregnant or I'm, I'm scared that I might be pregnant or something like that. But there's many reasons why you should go. And yeah. um, I was having very painful periods. Um, and I, re- I remember I got put on birth control at 18 because my periods were just so bad. I, I, I was waking up and... It, it was like scary. I was very concerned. Um, and then our doc, I talked about it with the doctor. She was like, you know, you're going off to college, you're 18, take the implant, the next one on implant. And then that way, God forbid, if anything happens, you're going to be covered and safe because it's college, but also this should help you stop bleeding for three years. And it did. And then I was 21. I had to get it removed and it caused some issues because I had, couldn't find anyone. I moved from Texas to LA. I couldn't find anyone to remove it. Um, luckily, my insurance covered it because it was like $300 to get it, you know, cut out of your arm. And then I slowly realized I was like, I'm going to do a year of no birth control just to get my body regulated. That was a mistake. I found out that the with me being on the implant, it was covering up a lot of my other issues I was having, which wasn't an issue at the time because I was in college. I didn't need to worry about having to bleed while I was doing dance classes because I went to performing arts university. But I found out I I went a year, almost a year and a half without birth control. And I was having severe period pain. And I was like, I couldn't even walk. Sometimes my roommates would have to carry me to uh, from the couch to my bed because I couldn't use my legs. And I was very concerned. I was like, what's going on? I see, I see a OBGYN out here and, um, Beverly Hills and she does a regular checkup and um she was like you know um we're gonna put you on birth control but and I was concerned I was like do I have endometriosis my mom had a lot of pain and she was having terrible periods as a a girl and you know she unfortunately had to have a total hysterectomy after having me because of an accident where she fell down the stairs so if she ended up having endo they didn't know to check at the time Mm -hmm. and I was just concerned. I kept telling this doctor and she was like, you know, you're too young for endo. And I was like, but look, look, I've tried to to be sexually active with people who I cared about. And sometimes I've even tried to do to see maybe if like a one-time fling would happen, but I could never get to the point of having sex. I've I've still not have had uh, penetrative sex because it's so painful. And I was wondering what's going on. And she was like, you're too young for endo. Don't worry about it. Um, besides, oh you're, you're, you're just tight because you're a virgin. And that was the excuse. Wow. God. And I was like, no, but I, I tried to have <laughs> penetrative sex or I wanted to, but I, I couldn't because it was just either not the right time or it was just like um, too painful. So I, I take her word for it. I come back. Everything's clear. I'm like still wondering, is it endo? Um, it was, I, I think it was either 2018 or 2019. I'm in Texas to see my family and my brother's a nurse and he has some connections in our local town. And 
one of his friends had an OBGYN who helped cured her infertility. Um, and they found what worked for her and she was able to finally get pregnant after trying for a long time and not having any success. And so he was like, how about we like talk with this doctor and we just get you checked out? Cause I was floored. I was supposed to be there for like the holidays or something and it just wasn't going well. I see mm. this new doctor, we start the exam. And the first thing he notices, he's not even, you know, he's bare, barely, you know, had one finger in the exam. He's like, Oh, we have a problem. And I was like, what? Like, what, what, what's wrong? Like, you just started. He was, yeah. like, well, he was like, well, you have vaginismus. You're having vaginal spasms. And I was like, what? And he was like, it's, it's not your fault. You're not doing anything wrong. Um, oh, what a great thing to say right okay. off the bat. Exactly. Oh, okay. yeah. you have a, you, it looks like you have a condition where you're having uncontrollable vaginal spasms. And uh, he asked me, he was like, did you always... He was like, have you ever used tampons? And I was like, well, no, because I uh, I always thought they were too painful. I successfully only used one once, but then after that, it was just always super painful and felt very foreign, and I just continued to use pads. He was like, okay. He was like, have, have you ever had painful masturbation, or do you ever masturbate? And, you know, I'm like 20-something, and I was like, I tried when I was a teenager and like a bit as an adult, but... I never understood why people liked it because it's always been super painful, like especially like penetrative masturbation. Like I, I, it's just not my thing. And he was like, ah, he was like, okay. He was like, you have this condition, it's called vaginismus. And pretty much you're going to have to go through this process of dilation where your pelvic floor and your muscles learn how to slowly relax because um, they're just, they're over, um, they're oversensitive and you're having electrical, like, uh, your, your nerve endings and your muscles are contracting when they shouldn't, mm-hmm. um, wow. whether or not like it's a foreign object or not. Cause I told him, I was like, I, I have someone who I'm interested in and, you know, he's really patient. He's really kind. And I really want to like, you know, be intimate with him. I finally found someone that I'm like, Hey, I want to be intimate and I can't. And like that person was super understanding. Um, but yeah, I found out that it was like, yeah, you're going to, because my other doctor uh, who I had in LA, she was like, what is, is, it seems like you have someone you're interested in who seems like a good partner. Honestly, you should just, um, you should just probably like, to get over it because you're a virgin, just have sex with him, even if it is painful, because it's going to hurt no matter what you do. Oh my god! And oh my god! I was Such so upset. <laughs> exactly. And I talked with my brother about it, uh, just because as, as a doctor telling me that he was like, "Look, sis, like you don't need to have sex until you're ready, if you unless like you want to, but know that, that there's issues going on, and you should get them figured out first before you venture in." And when I told the new doctor in Texas about that, he was like, honestly, I'm glad you didn't, because if you would have had sex in your current condition, it would have completely turned you off from sex and probably would have scarred you because you would have not just bled as people normally do when they're virgin, but you would have bled severely and could have ripped something. And I would have been very worried for you that you would never want to engage in sexual activity. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was very, like, heartbreaking. Yes. Oh, that I'm is so, that is heartbreaking. I'm so glad though that he was very direct with me and yes. he got me on this plan. So I'm on step four of eight. So there's the there's these silicone dilators that uh, they start off from size one to eight. The smallest ones like about the size of a pinky, and then mm-hmm. the size eight is the size of a full like large penis. Okay. So pretty much, though, it's not like masturbation. It's where it's it's pretty much um, pelvic floor vaginal exercises where you, you know, wherever you're in your quiet shower room, if you live alone, you have to, you know, use lube effectively. Absolutely. And absolutely. Lube you is your friend. 100%. Um, I read a statistic somewhere that women are almost 80% more likely to have an orgasm or be turned on with the addition of lube. Oh, really? Oh, I love that. Lube is your friend. Lube is your friend, ladies. And then, or however you choose to identify, lube is your friend. Exactly. Ladies, men, and everyone else. Exactly. (laughs) 
Um, so pretty much you lay there and you, you know, slowly at your own pace, you insert said dilator and you do pelvic floor exercises for 20 to 30 minutes. And then you, you stop <laughs> and that's, that's your exercise for the day, but it's Lisa, very painful. Is it, mm-hmm. is it uh, something where your exercises have to do with relaxing? Mostly? Yes. A lot of it is getting in that relaxation mindset and pushing through the pain and knowing where your limits are. Because obviously there are pleasure sensors there, but it's also very painful. So for me, I I got really nervous about it because I was confusing pleasure with pain and I was really nervous. Mm -hmm. But it did take a while. But I finally was able to move from step one to step two. And then I'm finally at four right now. And I've been at four for a while. I did, uh, like, I know the very, the last, like, serious relationship I was in, um, he was super understanding and would always do his best. And I was just trying to always communicate that with my doctor. I was like, it's not that, like, I don't want to be sexually intimate. And um, my partner, you know, he, he's, he'll spend, like, an hour, an hour and a half like, on me to, like, make sure that I'm being pleased. But as far as penetration... As soon as fingers or, or anything are inserted, it's just super painful. But it is something that I'm working on. And I know that um, I did come very close, though. One time I really just wanted to like say, you know what, screw it. I'm at stage four. Let's go. Let's do it. And he was like, no, 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 no. He was like, I want to make sure that like you're completely okay before um, you take that. Well, good part it's of that. Be very difficult. And, yeah. it, and I was very happy that he was. He was very understanding. Goddess bless him for that. That's really wonderful. That's a caring partner. Mm-hmm. And everyone should everyone should be treated like that. Exactly. Absolutely. Both men and women, you know? Exactly. Super. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Good work though. So, I mean, applause and, and cookies and awards for doing your self-care and for finding the right help when you needed the right help and just continuing to make sure that you are served by that help. Thank you. I'm still, um, congrats. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been a very harrowing journey and um, I got to find a new OBGYN since the pandemic happened. Um, I'm still on stage four. I, I honestly am not exercising as much as I should, but Honestly, having this kind of conversation really inspires me to keep on track and keep going because even though I'm single now and don't have a a partner, past partner was fantastic, but, you know, pandemic and all that good stuff. Yeah, Um, exactly. Exactly. Now that I'm taking care and focusing on myself, I'm like, you know what, this is important to do these exercises and to keep on my track with my vaginismus because this is something that is going to affect my longevity in my life. And I don't need to just be doing it because I'm not sexually intimate anymore. It should be just to take care of myself. And um, hopefully I can find another OBGYN out here because I'm still on the fence of if I have endometriosis because I needed a surgery to check if I have it, mm-hmm. um, where they go through the navel. But uh, through the regular ultrasound, they couldn't find anything wrong. And where the old OBGYN was saying why I should have sex, just to get it over with was because they can't in California give me a transvaginal ultrasound to see if anything's wrong until you've had sex because you can sue for rape in California. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, exactly. Well, that's something was, we don't know. Yeah. She was like, it's a liability. Like we can't, you know, use this wand and put it in there until, you know, you are not a virgin. And I was like, but I need, this exam to see if I have endo. And she was like, well, even, even if we did the exam, there's no guarantee that endometriosis would show up. You'd honestly need the laparoscopic surgery scope to go in there and see if there's any um, endo tissue growing where it shouldn't. And um, this last cycle that uh, I had, cause I'm on the same birth control as before, but instead of not bleeding at all, I've been bleeding constantly. Oh um, God. For the oh, last God. Like, year. So I would, I'm just trying to find like a doctor where I'm like, hey, can we check if I have endometriosis? Because I did, I do think if it's not endometriosis, it's at least vulvodynia, which is a condition not many people know about it, where it's an unexplained, painful um, experience, and it's like a the nerve endings of your vulva are constantly in pain. Mm. Wow. And, 
there's different specificity for vulvodynia. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's um, there's one where it's just specifically like the opening or the entrance of where your vagina is, which I know I do I do have pain there because it's always an entry where the issue is. Yeah. And then there is um, um, vulvodynia where it's in, it reaches the entire vulva and it's the the entire area and. I do have still issue with that. So I'm like, if it's not endo, maybe it's this. And I really hope that I can find a doctor here who knows about it because most people don't. Um, and I'm just trying to get all that worked out. But it's still all this pain because that, as we're talking about pain um, with sex, uh, it did really put me off at first from wanting to oh, be Oh, God, yeah, pain. of course. Why wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you voluntarily push forward into something that does nothing but cause you pain? I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. And yet, and yet, you know, the whole mentality of lie back and think of England, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm-hmm. there is this unspoken understanding that women owe men pleasure. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm using a gender binary now because historically Mm -hmm. it has Mm -hmm. been on the binary um, that, you know, that, you know, when when World War Two was happening, you know, women were encouraged to be especially nice to the GIs before they went off Mm -hmm. to war, Mm -hmm. you know, because the only thing apparently the only thing that women have of worth to give is their coochie. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, the only thing men would really want from women is their coochie. Oh, so but we're not gonna we're not gonna suspend the judgment against you for having slept with somebody outside of wedlock, but we are going to encourage you to do so. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that catch twenty two. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That men, in order for their definition of men to be re- reaffirmed, they have to seek as much sexual intercourse as possible mm-hmm. but women are encouraged you know to save it for marriage and we're the ones that have to say no and mm-hmm. all of that kind of thing and and those two things are just fundamentally setting us up mm-hmm. for conflict for constant exactly. conflict over pleasure and yeah it's for it not to be it's set up for us not to even consider the fact that there might be pleasure for the female uh in that binary that just Oh, it's, it's not even expected or wanted or necessary. It's you, you provide, they mm-hmm. get. Exactly. Yes. And, that this is and, a, you are, you are giving it over to them. You are giving it up for them. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not about you at all. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing that did come into like my last relationship with this, the, the pain and pleasure. It, it, I am so thankful and I'm so lucky that my, my past partner was fantastic and really understood, but it did, I, I won't, I won't lie. It did put a strain on the relationship because there was um, not equivalent exchange because, you know, he could never get me or it would be very difficult for me to have an orgasm or to have pleasure because of my conditions while, or, you know, being able to please him, it was, I was always able to, and I'm happy to, because I'm, I told my I told myself to stop denying that I am a sexual creature and that mm-hmm. I enjoy sex and pleasure because it's always told, especially in Latin American culture, you know, oh, like Latin American girls are feisty, oh, they're oh, they're this, they're that, all these stereotypes, but yet we're told not to because you know we don't want to get pregnant or though like, don't end up like your cousin or don't end up like this, like you don't want to get pregnant out of wedlock and all this stuff. So it was difficult to finally get my identity of yes, like. I'm a sexual creature. I enjoy being sexual, but then I'm not able to because my vagina won't let me. <laughs> I was very yeah. frustrated, but yeah. my partner was super understanding, but I won't lie. It did cause a lot of issues because there was there's just this unbalance and it was very uh, difficult for him, you know, to have to deal with this because he always felt so bad that he wasn't ever able to, you know, please me because I was either bleeding or I was in pain. And right. it just, it, it just never felt fair. And, um, it, it ultimately wasn't the reason why, like we broke up or whatnot. And he's still a great friend of friend and a wonderful person and all my love goes out to him. But it was just one of those things that, um, it, it, it's something that I do think about in the future when, you know, 
with new partners, it's like, it, it makes me hesitant to date because it's like, I have to know that this is going to be a person that is going to be willing to put in the work because it's going to be all about my personality. It's going to be all about who I am because yeah, you're not going yeah. to get to have access to this because I don't even have access to this. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is that as a society, we don't, we don't, we, we only define sexual pleasure as orgasm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we, we have a very limited understanding of alternate forms of pleasure. Like, you know, mm-hmm. no, I, I, I can't have penetrative sex with you, but you could give me a massage. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could rub my feet. You could brush my hair. You know, these are all things that give physical pleasure, mm-hmm. but don't necessarily, you know, ring the golden bell, as it were, <laughs> you know? That, <laughs> and that, I definitely agree, yeah. Yeah, and that if you are in a body that, has difficulty achieving that and or constantly intermingles that with pain, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you would like to accept pleasure in different ways and to be able to accept that as good enough, you know, as, as, as what you want is difficult is really difficult for our society. Oh, absolutely. And that, that was my thing. That was my thing. I was like, I, I get pleasure from just being around you or just having a massage because that would be a lot of our other alternatives, um, which I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because my biggest thing too is like, yeah, even if my golden bell isn't ringing, I'm still getting pleasure out of being with you or, you know, performing oral or sexual activities with you because that gets me off and that makes me happy because... I like to yeah. give as much as I like to receive. And um, yeah, I like that idea. Of you don't always have to take the golden bell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pleasure comes in many forms. And you get to decide how you would like to accept pleasure mm-hmm. in the body you're in. Right. You don't exactly. have to. Yeah. And and there's such a pleasure. There's such a pressure there we go words are hard um you know to fit the mold to fit the mold well i mean uh, most of what we see on television is the bang for the buck sex and it's Mm -hmm. really difficult in our minds sometimes to even imagine like for instance just years have gone by and and i've had you know few years of sexual activity let's say and Mm -hmm. it's it's getting narrower and narrower which fantasies I choose when I'm masturbating or when I'm trying to get interested in a potential partner, you know, or, you know, just kind of, I should date, you know, maybe I'll go into my head and I'll picture having good, you know, sexual feelings for somebody. And it's really difficult anymore not to be narrowed by the, the idea that it's, it's all of that, you know, naked, sweaty coitus and mm-hmm. it has to be over the moon and it has to be orgasmic. It's like, wow, that's really not. And nowadays I've been laying there going like, you know, I just want to feel somebody's skin against my back. And I start there and I really start it small now. And it's kind of like yeah. just having to go back and retrain myself as an American, mm-hmm. you know, hetero female that, you know, yeah, I, I have to yeah. retrain myself that there are pleasures and then there's what this thing is that we've been taught is sex. Mm-hmm. Yes. 100%. Vastly wide apart in my mind. And I'm trying to have to go back and retrain myself. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the sort of subtle difference between sensuality and sexuality. Mm. Oh, yes. You, know, you, can have, you can have sensuality without sexuality. Mm-hmm. Or you can have sensuality with sexuality, you know, like. What if what if your fantasy started with just you lying on a warm beach, mm-hmm. you know, with the mm-hmm. sound of the waves and the sun, the feeling of the sun on your skin? You know, that's a sensual image, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to go to a sexual place, but it can also mm-hmm. go to a sexual place. You know, it doesn't even have to involve a partner. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. This is what we yeah. forget as well, too, that it's just we are a sexual being. We can be our own sensual center. Mm-hmm. 
And the sole beneficiary, the sole uh, practitioner of her own sensuality. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are ours and we can do with them as we please, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Beth, you have some sort of society uh, busting um, uh, experiences Mm. about women's pleasure as well. Mm -hmm. Do you want to sort of venture into that area now? I don't mind going into the, to to that zone because I think we've led up to it. It's, you know, females are expected to be a certain role, um, yep. it regards to heterosexuality in men. So that's where I was in the world of being a stripper when I was 23 or so, um, yeah. in bachelor party situations. So I wasn't, you know, it wasn't showgirls. It wasn't burlesque. It was, it was mm-hmm. definitely getting into a car with a, a handler and going to locations in the city and setting up at a hotel room or a back of a, like a pool hall back room or something like that for bachelor parties. Wow. So yeah, I was, I was young. I was already um, somebody who loved to dance and perform and extrovert. And luckily I didn't not, I didn't really did not get the shutdown sexuality message from either the Catholic church or my parents, which was a near miss because there was plenty of shame thrown around. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of didn't get that. Um, I kind of got the idea that, Hey, if they're going to pay me money for the thing that I got going on here on my skin, Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that. I also had, um, you know, theatrical background. So I, I saw it as a performance. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's definitely a performance. And I, I, it is not me. And I learned a super ton about, why it's not me that they're actually engaging with. Now you can say that's really sad because you're setting yourself up as kind of a shell of a being for them to, to throw money at. And so, and degrade to a point, but if you don't, I don't know, I didn't take it on as like, they're talking about me when they're talking about objectifying me. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really could distance from that mentally. So I think that I was probably a healthier person stripping than it could have been. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even yeah, had another female stripper say to me, um, it, you, you must have had some damage when you were a kid. We all do. We're all damaged and we all la da da. And I went, Wow. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your story. You can tell it to me sometime, but I'm making money. like that's not why I'm here to work that out because I know this isn't the group that I'm going to work that out with right of course yeah exactly these are not my trusted people and I you know I had every young girl's like collegiate embarrassing scenarios and I gave power to the wrong boys and so on so sure it wasn't Mm -hmm. like in my personal life it wasn't pristine but I felt a lot more control about being a stripper because I had more of a framework, you know, you don't get a framework in your sexual life, really. You don't get to be like easy with it when you're young. You know, you start right out mm-hmm. going like, I don't know what to do and I don't know who to be. And I don't know quite who they're dealing with when they're having sex with me. And sometimes I, that's what I, my experience was. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of that exploration there, but when I was actually dancing, I felt it was very clean. A, you're a stranger. B, you're looking at my body for 20 minutes and then the other dancer dances for 20 minutes and then we dance together and I make a, it's like being a waitress. You've got a structure of money, you know, you get X amount of money for each show and then you get tips. So you work as hard as you can for the tips, but I know that there's a legal boundary for stripping. So you shouldn't do these, you know, anything beyond here you can't do in the city I was in. Mm. So I knew where my parameters are. I knew exactly what my boundaries are supposed to be. And being a very good Capricorn, I stuck to my boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I was like, thank you for the guidance. I know exactly what to do now. And so I was doing a very theatrical, like my, my pleasure came from expressing myself. I get to 
do high kicks and I get to do some splits and I get to jump up on a chair if I feel like it and they are eating it up and I made $500 a weekend. Nice. Wow. And that was high. I mean, sometimes I made really nothing, but average, I'd probably make $250 for a night worth of parties, which is two or three parties in a row on a Saturday. And this was, this was a couple of decades ago. So yeah, yeah, that 250 went a little further than it does today. Yeah. Yeah. 250 was my rent. If you want to really put it in perspective. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I paid off my student loans and everybody laughs at that cliche, but that's exactly what it was, was I have student debt and I'm going to pay it off because you know what? My tits are magnificent and here they are. You know, if you want to pay me for that, like it's pathetic, go ahead, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I think this, the story that I know I prepped the show for is, Uh is the story where now I was the den mother to another girl. I was Beth and there was always a Barbie and there were three Barbies that were hired and, and left in different times. So I always trained Barbie. Okay. And Barbie was also a a youngish person. I wasn't that much older than they were, but I taught them the boundaries. And that that was why I call it the den mother. Cause I was like, don't do this. Don't do this. If you do that, this is the the, uh, consequence that you're going to find. And it was all about, you know, don't let them bargain for more than you will do because like for instance, okay. So we did these whipped cream shots on our nipples. And the whipped cream shots were at more money. So it was kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, they could give you a dollar any old time, but if they want, if you wanted five, you pulled out the whipped cream and the handler was very good at that. He was this really ugly old man that was like totally safe to be with because he was just like, Hey guys. And he did this like vaudevillian thing. Anyway, he pulled out the whipped cream at the right time when he knew the money was starting to increase. And right. so you could do whipped cream on the nipples and the guys had to take their shot and go. You know, it was all about crowd control and about don't get too close and don't reach for me down. uh, Don't reach for the G string too much, but you always had to have a G string on. In Chicago, you couldn't have been naked. Right. Right. It was always G string. So within that, there was like this don't bargain because they'll be like, what are you going to do for 20? They will do it every time, every party, just expect it. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And get out of it coquettishly because you're not going to do anything special, period. This is what we do. We dance. They do the thing. We do the whipped cream shots and we can hug each other and that kind of thing. And we can, you know, flirt with each other, um, but we, we can't touch the men and they can't touch us. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except your basic sit on somebody's lap kind of thing. Right, right, yeah. The, the sort of um, the sort of uh, old trope of like, you know, here's the rules for a lap dance. I can touch you anywhere. You can't touch me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the guys would know the rules and stuff. And all most of the guys were fine. There were some rooms that I will write a memoir about someday. But um, but the there was a particular party where my rules, which were hard and fast all the time where I broke my own rules because at this party, there were so many perfectly sweet collegiate boys and they were like, can I go down on you? Oh, wow. Wow. And I was like, we're really not supposed to do that. And he says, it's okay. It it can be over your G string. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So 15 guys like started to reach into their pockets. And I was like, this could be a really big night. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so the, the choices kind of took place where I thought my boundaries have been expressed. They've been respected. This is a request, not a demand. And nobody's trying to coerce me into it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. No one's cajoling you and and saying, come on, come on. Exactly. They're not pulling power trips. I look over at my handler and he goes, he kind of looks at me and he said, he just tipped his head with his eyebrows up and he just kind of went, well, I trust you. 
Okay. I was like, okay. So I sat on a chair and to make a long story short, (laughs) (laughs) more than 15 men went down on me over my G-string. Oh, wow. With their chins, with their noses, with just pressure. And they sat and, and like they had maybe 10 seconds at most at a time. And I absolutely orgasmed. Yeah. So you were enjoying yourself. Absolutely. You were, yeah. Yeah. It was the best night like for me because everybody was safe. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody, like, there was one guy that even was like, can we videotape? He asked if mm-hmm. they could videotape. And it was kind of like, I don't feel unsafe here. Mm-hmm. And it was so weird because it was almost like these boys just wanted to learn what it was like to go down on a gal. They were young, you know, and I was mm-hmm. only five or six years older than they were, but <laughs> I felt older and I felt yeah. in control. And then Barbie, who was at the same party, um, right. she was kind of pissed. Wow. Because I made 500 and something dollars in one go right then. Right. Yeah. And I had told her for, you know, a year, don't do anything the other girl won't do. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're either going to make more money than they are and they they can't, or you're going to encourage somebody to coerce that other girl into something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, in a way, are coercing the other girl into something because- it's peer pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. It's financial. It's so it was so but you know, we'd been working together for so long. I was just like, honey, I had to take it. And she was just like, that makes sense. And I said, here's why. And we had a whole conversation about it. And mm-hmm. we got over it because uh, I says, you know, there are some time there was there was another time when she did something that was off grid. And I was like, that was dangerous. And she threw mm-hmm. it back at me that I had done this first thing. And I was just like, Okay, the reasoning that that went behind this was different. Um, right. Point taken. Mm-hmm. You know, I totally apologize. Yeah. It wasn't the right thing to do, but I don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel yeah. guilty because the ch- I know that I was making choices that was not unsafe for her. If I thought mm-hmm. in in her case, what whatever she chose to, it's not my story to tell, but she did something that was really risky at a party where these guys were just as coercive as possible. And she was like, I'm going for the money. I don't remember whether that was before the party that I was in or after I'm just comparing the two. Yeah. But it wasn't retaliation to that, that night, but it was still just like, yeah, the money was too well, much. It was a bunch of stockbrokers and they had hundreds and they were throwing hundreds. Wow. wow. And I was wow. just like, I can totally see why you caved, but that put everybody in danger and they wouldn't want to, mm-hmm. they didn't want us to leave the party. Oh, yikes. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's kind of s- scary. Yeah. yeah. And well, I was you know, in the car that night. So I was just like, yeah, you really have to trust your gut in situations mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this gets into sort of gift of fear territory mm-hmm. where, yeah. yeah, where you have to listen to that inner voice. And if that mm-hmm. inner voice is saying, it's going to be great, it's going to be fine, go yeah. for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, then you can listen to it. But if the inner voice is saying, Doing, then, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter how much money they throw at you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But the yeah. other thing is the gift of not, it, of telling yourself that this $20 or this $100 or this whole night's worth of money, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. Because when you go into that room and everybody's, mean and controlling and bossy. They can be, there can be too many men and you can't mm-hmm. get away from their hands. You're putting mm-hmm. yourself in a situation where you can feel completely powerless and you're in danger. And mm-hmm. there, when you say to yourself, I don't need the money, here's an, an altar evening. I remember we went into a very small house, too many men stacked up on top of each other. Lots of them didn't speak English um, and weren't mm-hmm. listening, even if they were. And, yeah. and then the, I looked at my handler and I said, we're leaving. And he says, okay, I'm giving you the money back guys. Like, you know, you never can control mm-hmm. these women. They're in charge. It's not me. And you know, he, he just was really yeah. great at getting out of the scenario. If there was right. ever an alarm bell. Yeah. The only person I would have worked for. Yeah. And 
I find it really telling that he also just, he let me have 15 guys go down on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly there was, there was trust there. Yeah. yeah. It was a working relationship. Yeah. That was a good yeah. three years in, you know, we knew each other yeah. really well. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. It's all about that trust. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the sense of being able to, um, receive pleasure. I mean, I, I still impress myself with this story because to be honest, because I think yeah. I w- at the time could not really let a man that I was dating go down on me without mm-hmm. so much insecurity and sort of like, they didn't know what they're doing. I didn't know how to receive pleasure. And it was kind of almost this mutual understanding that because we had these boundaries that were artificial. There was a way to explore being able to just say, Hey, it's, it's just fun. It's a party. And we're here in a trusting environment randomly, mm-hmm. like light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, that's why I'm impressed is like we, that we all made the decision to sort of learn how to trust each other. And the pleasure was totally right there. These guys were jazzed. They were like, oh my God, we get to go down on this girl, you know? Like, Yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't know anyone excited about that. And it's an exceptional situation. You know, it's like, it it sounds very much like, you know, dear playboy, I never thought this would happen to me, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. It was an exceptional situation. And you know, because there was trust and there were boundaries, you all navigated it to, uh, you know, to to give all of you all of yourselves, you know, the mm-hmm. maximum amount of pleasure out of that situation. So fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was strange and and wonderful, and <laughs> it's not, and, and I know it's never going to happen again. And that's how I can tell I'm not an addictive personality. Yeah, because I'm like not going after that again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. I want to I I want to sort of chase this this uh this thing that you said about how, you know, even you were in a relationship at the time and you didn't feel comfortable with your boyfriend going down on you. Right. Many boyfriends. Yeah. Very very few boyfriends mm-hmm. to this day. Do I feel like it's my central way to get pleasure because it's not easy? I firstly, what do I do with my hands while you're going down on me? Um, you solve that with a little 69 action, but mm-hmm. I, I get a little bored. It's not my primary. I, I think I get bored because that person isn't as intuitive enough as to know, kind of keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And when I open my mouth to say something, I feel like I go into this part of my brain that isn't about receiving pleasure. That's more about verbal and sort of control. <laughs> I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. keep going. Or like I try to moan right and they don't get it. And it's just like, you got to keep, gotcha. keep doing that thing until you're super bored and your jaw hurts. That's perfect. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> <laughs> and why can't we say that, you know? Yeah. Why can't we? that I think I was reading like I think I was reading oh god it was somewhere on the internet maybe it was tumblr or something like that Mm -hmm. and um and they were talking it it was a thread about like things you think about when someone's going down on you (laughs) and and the one that I really resonated with was don't fart don't fart don't fart oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yes yes that is definitely Uh, a fear I feel like a lot of people have where it's like (laughs) Just don't do it. That's exactly. I mean, you're undulating your pelvis. You're like, your your guts are like (laughs) squishing and contracting a little. You know, it's like, it kind of makes you gassy. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And so, and there's this weird, like, you know, like you want to let go and just go with the flow and feel the moment and all that sort of thing. But there's part of you that is tight as a drum yes. because mm-hmm. you don't want to fart. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or, or, you know, fill in the blank. It could be anything. It could be, you know, make a stupid noise. It could yeah. be, um, you know, it could be Kick him in the head. a little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, kick them in the head, you know, all that <laughs> sort of too thing. Hard. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like there's this sense of what you're trying not to do, like you're saying, and then there's also that sort of 
I don't really exactly get if somebody's in it for themselves and they use that against you in the act of, of pleasuring you, whatever they're doing, whether it's going down on you or not, it's like the Mm -hmm. sense of, if you're trying to make me come because you would get a kick out of that in a way that's egoistic, I can tell versus involved. like, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, Annalisa said, you really enjoy giving pleasure to the other person. So that is, that is one of the major pleasures. So I can't cut off somebody wanting to pleasure me, but when they're doing it for some outcome, like they really are going to take a hit if they don't make me happy. That's when I start to feel like, Oh God, don't make me phone it in. <laughs> yeah. That's when we get worried about that ego because you, it's, if it's not working, it's not working, mm-hmm. but it's about all about that communication and finding that right rhythm or what exactly works for you. Because uh, I know for myself, because of my conditions, I had to really hone in. It's like, okay, I want pleasure. I need to make sure that I communicate effectively to my partners because it's not going to happen if, <laughs> if I don't communicate when I'm in pain or when that feels good. Because mm-hmm. uh, for me, oral is one of like the only ways I can receive pleasure. So it's something that I do enjoy, but I know not everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about, yeah, there, there's all those concerns. It's like, oh, do I smell okay? Like, am I clean? Like, what's going on? Like, you can't see down there when stuff's going on. And you just want to make sure that the other person's comfortable. Yeah. Is there too much hair? Is there not enough hair? You know, I mean, right. like, exactly. we're just so, we're so worried about being perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When inherently like sex and pleasure is just messy and that's perfectly oh, okay. so messy and sloppy and silly. <laughs> you make stupid sounds, your face does things. Yeah. You know, I mean it's just <laughs> seriously, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to look like in the movies. <laughs> exactly. Can't. Exactly. Can't. And speaking of the movies, oh my God, my friend Danielle tells a story about um how, uh, oh, you know, being out here in the, in the, in the business, you know, mm-hmm. you're always bumping into people in various, various capacities of putting together entertainment. And, um, and she was talking with someone who was talking about ratings on, on films and, you know, her, her, the person she was talking to had, had put together a feature film and there was a sex scene in it mm-hmm. and it was a mutual sex scene like the the man and the woman were both into it and they were you know they were getting happy with one another and it was great and the censors had a problem with the sex scene they thought it was too much hmm. and you know it was the difference between like an R rating and a PG13 rating mm-hmm. and they they suggested that they recut the scene to make it look like the woman was not quite so into it ah! wow she was more hesitant and that, you know, the man was into it, but she was more resisting. Horseshit. And that, yes. And that that would give the film a lower rating. And I just, I mean, that mentality just blows my freaking mind because that is what, I mean, think about that is what we're presented with yeah. in the media. You know, mm-hmm. that same old trope of like, guys always want it. Women are supposed to say no. Right. Yeah. Or just lying how- there like, like meekly enjoying, if if anything, just, oh, oh, mm-hmm. it's so nice to, to be here. Oh, oh. Instead of like, Is it hey, good dude, for you? bring it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is it good for you, honey, as opposed to lick it, lick it, Come lick it now. now. Bring it. Exactly. Stop. <laughs> you know? If you stop, I will, I will, I will freak out. <laughs> I will kick you in the head. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, how can we, how can we feel free to have pleasure when, you know, everywhere around us, we're told, you know, you give pleasure. Your job is to give pleasure, mm-hmm. not to it yeah mm-hmm. and if it pleasures your man to give you pleasure well then okay nah, I suppose yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's a caveat there mm-hmm. but um but yeah yeah reclaiming and feeling 
and not feeling guilty about asking for what we need and what we want. That is a whole separate training that we have to go through practically. 100%. And you have to be, I think, okay with yourself. And you have to learn to not judge yourself for what turns you on and for what you like. Because just because something might work, you know, one instance doesn't mean it might work again later. Yeah. (laughs) So, So even when you have like a long standing partner, just saying like, hey, like, that didn't work this time, but let's do this. Or, or just having that open communication because I've noticed that a lot in, in um, comedy that I'm watching now because I didn't watch a lot of comedy growing up, but I'm with quarantine going on. I'm, I've been watching a lot of uh, sitcoms and I, something on King and Queens that I'm still perplexed about because I'm on season three that uh, they have a very loving relationship, but there's a lot of jokes that go on that, you know, Doug, you know, finishes or whatnot and then you know she says it was great honey but she never gets there and she there's the jokes that like yeah it was okay you did better this time but that she never actually like gets off or enjoys or like she never rings the bell and I've always thought that that was very interesting because I'm like well hey why don't you have the dialogue where it's like hey Doug try to do this and maybe you can get there or because I did read something that on the internet that said uh I think it was on an Instagram about like a sexual therapist and they were saying that your pleasure is your responsibility. And if you don't communicate effectively to the other person, then, you know, they're not mind readers. They're not going to know. And just know that it's okay to express that. Even if it is with a one night stand, like say who, like, you know, like, Hey, this works or this doesn't. Um, so just finding out what works for you. Like I know for myself, I can't do one night stands because of my conditions. I did try it a couple of times, but it, it's very hard to communicate when you're like, just, you know, yeah, talking with someone and being like, Hey, like you can't do this. And it was very hard to be like, Hey, I can't have sex, but I wouldn't mind doing other things with you. They're like, Oh, I mean, okay. Yeah. I guess you can, you can go back to my place. Um, it just yeah. doesn't work. And I have to really trust the person because I wasn't able to really get there um, unless I was with a committed partner. So I'm cool with being a serial monogamist, you know, yes. Um, yes. and I'm fine with that just because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to waste my time. But I know for other people, uh, they can totally get there with a stranger or with someone who they trust. It's just all, you know, like different strokes for different folks. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I have um, that. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just thinking about how um, there's a, you know, in the balance of partners that a lot of, um, I, I feel a little bit guilty. We're just continuing to talk about heterosexual coitus, but you know, that's my experience. So we have, um, we have the men always saying like, there's this sort sort of in the, in the media, the shows we're talking about, mm-hmm. the men are being shown as these buffoons too. Yeah. So it's almost like they're reinforcing a man's inability to even get it right or be mm-hmm. that eager to get it right. And I find it interesting, like both role models need to be re-upped into some some better upgrade of like the women mm-hmm. going having that kind of balanced requesting that you're saying. And then also the men like Doug, you know, needs to be a little more like, I try this and I'm trying, you know, like I, it's important that my wife is excited and I like when I do these things with her and that kind of thing too, because men well, are being and- denigrated as well, like over and over again, like he's pathetic mm-hmm. and he can't even get her the right mm-hmm. wedding present and all of that trope is just killing me too. Yeah. 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 And like- also portraying, sorry. And also portraying that this is the normal state of affairs, mm-hmm. right? That, that, you know, it's expected that a woman will never have pleasure during sex because the guy can only get himself off and then he doesn't know what to do next. Right. You know, like the only way he knows to have sex is to put it in and pump until he comes, you know, and then Mm -hmm. like, that is not the definition of sex. No. Exactly. (laughs) The definition of sex is so much broader Mm -hmm. than that. And yet they're portraying this as like perfectly acceptable and normal Mm -hmm. that this is the state of affairs. And that's, you know, we got to, we got to cut that out. Yeah. I I learned a lot about 
what I was willing to ask for and not do and do and all that stuff from a person that I was with who didn't have a functioning penis as far as erection. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the pleasure was there. It was mm-hmm. just, we were doing other things. And so it was one of these, like we did everything else, uh, but penetration. And I was like, this is a great opportunity we had. And um, totally sexy partner for me and very much into it because it was like, oh, good. You know, there isn't this sort of trap door where you just get to pull the lever, like (laughs) another Mm -hmm. metaphor, but you pull the lever and you're done. It's just like, oh, get this over. You know, it was just like, no, I I actually, I have to actually commit in there to the pleasure part, be in the pleasure parts of sex. I, and I, I don't want to separate it out like pleasure, not pleasure, but a lot of it is kind of, for me, just the business. You get mm-hmm. the business of some sex now, you know? Um, and you can do that with, with that lovely kind of, um, you know, the, the sand on the beach sensation and it goes straight, you know, it goes and blends into, you know, either way. Mm-hmm. When you have that trap door of just like, we're just going to ha- then have penetrative sex. And then it's, he's going to be, you know, there's sort of this sort of loophole that I sometimes right. use to get out of yeah, yeah. really committing yeah. to my own pleasure. I will use it yes. as a trap door too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Take the easy yeah. way out. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I, let's just get this over with now. Stick it in and go, you know, right. Cause I know that'll make you come. So, you know, <laughs> Yes. And and then there's also the understanding that when the man orgasms, sex is over. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. You see that all the time in film, it's like, oh, and he's done. And then like the rollover and the sheets cover up and you're like, Wait, yes, what about her? Exactly. Or what, about, what about them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about all that yeah. mess? I mean, and what about all that mess? Well, there, yes, of course. <laughs> I love Like that. I said, Sex is ridiculous. (laughs) But, you know, if she hasn't come, he's not done. He's not done, you know? Even if it's only only holding her hand or kissing her while she masturbates herself to completion. You know, sex doesn't necessarily end when the man orgasms. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, we're talking about heterosexual sex. And now I'm realizing we definitely need to do another one of these episodes where we talk about same sex relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and that kind of pleasure. But ladies, this has been amazing. Do you have any final thoughts before we uh, before we close? Well, I I, I'm coming at it from the sense of um, one's own body. I'm kind of summarizing myself and saying when one's own body is happy to be where it's at, when it's at with the right nutrition and the right kind of, you know, self care anyway, I think pleasure Mm -hmm. really amps up in whatever's happening and you get more confident about those boundaries. I, I think I'm speaking to my younger self. And saying, you know, feeling like your your body isn't gross in the first place, feeling like I'm well taken care of and all that stuff. I think that is that is pleasure. That's the beginning of pleasure is that stasis where your brain is going like, I'm okay. I think I'm safe. I'm happy. And then you get to the jumping off point of enjoying it even more. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Alicia, any final thoughts? I think my biggest thing is um, as an advocate for OBGYN health, I just want to say, you know, to anyone listening, um, if, if, you, if something feels wrong or something feels off, you know, go to the OBGYN. Um, they're there to help you. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to make you feel gross, you know, as, if they're a great doctor, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. unlike some unfortunate experiences, um, I know on average, it takes about five different OBGYNs before the average American woman is diagnosed with endometriosis. Wow. So five. And right now I'm on my third or my fourth. Um, and I still don't know for sure. So my biggest thing is if, if sex, no matter what is 
especially penetrative sex, is painful for you. If you're having um, very heavy or very painful periods, especially like with lower back pain and ovary pain, that doesn't seem normal. Um, especially if you can't walk, that's not a normal thing. If people are telling you that's normal, you should be able to use your legs. Um, yes. If you're having issues like with hormone imbalances or um, things like that, like maybe with polycystic ovarian syndrome or just in general, if you're having pain, um, whether or not it's with your uh, with your period or it's with trying to um, become pregnant, because um, for the longest time, and I'm still up in the air, I don't know if my fertility will be affected on whether or not I have endo, but just know that you are not less of a woman or less of a person because you are having these conditions interfere, uh, you know, with normal day-to-day life. There is hope. There are ways to live and have pleasure and to be a, um, to get to where you want to be, but just make sure that you go to your yearly checkup or seek help from um, your OBGYN that way you can get to the bottom and focus on your self-care and focus on your health that way you can take care of yourself. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I learned yeah. a lot. I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, you know, to sort of expand upon that, that, um, that uh, you shouldn't have to endure pain to have sex, to have pleasure, mm-hmm. um, that you're, you're worth it. Your body is worth it. Mm-hmm. And um, and investigate the ways that you can receive pleasure without pain, and there's no shame in that. It may mean that you have to work a little harder, but you know, mm-hmm. that it might be like, fun trying. <laughs> it, yeah, it might be fun trying. Exactly, exactly. exactly. And also, you you know, it's your pleasure. It's your body. You get to make the rules if you decide that you are just not pleasured by that kind of sex mm-hmm. then you don't have to have it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, you can say no, you can mm-hmm. say no, yeah. your body, your rules. Exactly. Your body is beautiful. It is. Damn straight goddesses. Damn straight goddesses. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much, ladies. This has been just a wonderful conversation. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you very much. It's so great to get to talk about sex and pleasure with you lovely lovely goddesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And thanks again for joining us on 34 Circe Salon. Blessed be.